Good morning. Good morning. Our reading this morning is taken from Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. The gospel reading for this morning is taken from the 24th chapter of the gospel according to St. Luke. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said, said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were st they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You or witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you ever think of the people in the Bible as real people? I mean, people that uh, get up in the morning and have breakfast and uh, think about all of the things that they need to accomplish during the day. Do you ever think about them as somebody that you could sit down with and, and have a conversation? Take St. Paul, for example. I have a sneaking suspicion that St. Paul probably is not the person that you would want to nominate uh, to be the pastor of uh, uh, families of Christ. 
He's certainly smart enough and he's well-grounded in Christian doctrine, but he doesn't have a whole lot of patience. And uh, I think we probably upset him uh, periodically. Uh, He wrote a zinger of a letter to the congregation in Corinth and later had to apologize for it. Uh, John Mark, uh, he refused to take on the second missionary journey because John Mark had uh, abandoned them uh, on the first missionary journey. And that created a problem between St. Paul and, and Barnabas. And yet when you come right down to it, St. Paul had a tremendous insight into the nature of, uh, of our Christian faith. What if we ask St. Paul, what does the resurrection really truly mean? I think that he would probably reply uh, somewhat as he did in the letter to the, uh, to the people in, in Ephesus. God, in his great mercy, because of his love for us, in spite of the fact that we had uh, committed so many trespasses against us, sent his son into this world so that we might be alive in Christ. By grace, he would say, you are saved. That God is the one who actually, when you come right down to it, took the initiative. God is the one who decided to send his son into this world to suffer and die so that we might be freed from from all of our failures, from all of our faults, from all of our sins. Then just in case you missed the point, St. Paul said it again. By grace are you saved through faith. God did the heavy lifting. He is the one who called us to be his own through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And since through the resurrection, he has created a new future for us, then we are what he has made us to be in Christ Jesus for good works, St. Paul goes on to say. Does God expect us to do something? I mean, as far as our salvation is concerned, all we have to do is to simply accept what he has done for us. But he has created us for good works, which he has planned for us. This is the life that he has called us to in this new creation. Does God expect us to do something? I and another uh, senior Navy chaplain was invited, were invited to uh, do a presentation for mid-level Navy Reserve chaplains. It was, uh, it was on management. 
on the particular management uh, philosophy that was current in the Department of Defense at that particular time. Uh, just like the corporate world, um, the government uh, pays allegiance to whatever uh, management uh, philosophy is, uh, is popular at the, uh, at the moment. And this one was on management for results, measurable results. So we finished our, uh, our presentation and uh, called for questions. Up went a hand. And the chaplain, the reserve chaplain said, are we expected to do something? I've heard about uh, people absolutely overwhelmed and not being able to talk. I observed it that day. My fellow senior chaplain was standing there with his mouth wide open and nothing was coming out. He was stunned. And finally I said, uh, yes, God, uh, we are expected to do something. Does God expect us to do something? Well, as the interim pastor of uh, Family of Christ, I should probably say at this time, uh, yes, there are all sorts of things you ought to be doing for the church. You ought, there are uh, boards and committees uh, that uh, uh, you could certainly slot into, and uh, we need uh, volunteers for the Vacation Bible School, and we need Sunday school teachers, and uh, there are projects to do. Uh, there are just all sorts of things. But I am not sure, as important as all of those things are, that those are uppermost in God's mind. If we ask St. Paul, does God really expect us to do something? What does God expect of us? St. Paul would probably say, what's your vocation? A vocation is a calling. God has given each and every one of us skills, abilities, gifts. For some people, God has given physical abilities. They can do things with their hands. They can be creative. To other people, God has given mental gifts that they can, they can grasp ideas, concepts. They can manipulate symbols. For other people, God has given a gift of perspective. They can see things that uh, most of us really don't see. God has given us people this diversity of gifts and he calls upon us to use those gifts for the benefit of the people around us. Stop and think for a moment how important the farmers and ranchers are to our daily lives. But what about the wholesalers who gather up the, those products and provide them to the grocer so that when you walk through the door of the uh, supermarket, they are already on the shelves. 
And what about the young man or young woman who stocked those shelves and the clerk who checks you out? Or what about uh, the construction people who use their skills to build our homes and uh, our business buildings? Or the architect whose vision creates those buildings and homes? Or doctors and nurses, technicians who care for us when we're sick or hurt? Or teachers and professors, administrators, uh, staff who provide educational opportunities for us? Or uh, policemen, firemen, members of the armed forces, security personnel who provide protection for us. And don't forget the office workers who keep things moving or the sales clerks who help us to find things in the store when we can find a sales clerk. All of these gifts that God has bestowed upon his people. Think about the retired people who bring such a wealth of experience to enhance our lives. God has given us gifts, skills, abilities, and the opportunity to enhance those skills and abilities, to grow so that we might serve the people around us. Martin Luther said that the milkmaid is just as important as the monk. And in God's economy, that's absolutely true. In our worldly, earthly economy, we provide differential amounts of pay for a a celebrity actor or actress or an NBA star. They make far much more money than a childcare worker receives. And yet a teacher touching the lives of children may contribute far more to the betterment of the world than the greatest home run hitter in all of history. Doris Murphy was a Lutheran school teacher. And I have run into a number of middle-aged men who talk about the influence that she had on their lives in the second grade. And they still remember her and what she did for them. Well, she even did more than that. There was a Marine by the name of Hans, an old retired reprobate Marine, highly decorated, and uh, Doris would send him to gather food from the local food bank, and she would distribute it to people in need. Hans hauled, Doris shared, and God's people were taken care of. That is God's economy. 
By grace are you saved through faith. That is the very heart of the Christian message. That is the very heart of the resurrection. Through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, God has raised you and me up to a new future. And then he has called us to serve him by serving other people. He has called us to use the gifts, talents, abilities that he has given us to reach out and touch the lives of others. He has called upon each one of you to use your gifts, your gifts in the service of the Lord. Does God expect us to do something? Yes. He expects us to use the gifts that he has given us and serve him by serving others. Amen.